When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Yes, sir, over in the corner, yeah. What's your favorite bourbon? What's my favorite bourbon? It's called Weller 12. Really? You guys know the Weller 12? You guys don't mind dropping some uh, coin on some uh, some bourbon? I like Weller 12. I mean, listen, if I'm making like an old-fashioned, maybe I just, you know, I'm, I'm good with some Maker's Mark. You know, uh, I, I, I am occasionally, because people know that I like bourbon, occasionally I'll get a nice bottle of bourbon and I never say no. But uh, <laughs> I was once given a bottle of uh, Pappy Van Winkle. I don't know if you've had it, but it was Pappy Van Winkle 20, which I, I, I didn't open. I probably, it was probably 25 or almost 30 by the time it was open, and it was opened by the only person who should have opened it. It was my father-in-law who was in town staying with us, and he couldn't find any bourbon. He had no idea what Pappy Van Winkle was. So he went, <laughs> like that, opened up for us a drink. And my brother, Ed, who happened to be in town exactly the same time, walked in, and he just braced me. He said, I, I want you to come to the bar, and I want you to brace yourself before you get there. And I went, who opened my Pappy Van Winkle? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I don't know. I've never seen an open bottle before. <laughs> I saw your hand first, young lady, right there on the, on the aisle, yeah. What would be, uh, if I was a professional baseball player, what would my walk-up song be? Um, uh, it would be Funeral March for a Marionette. Do you guys know, know, do you guys know it? Do you know it? Yeah. You might remember it as this. That's it. It's the Alfred Hitchcock theme. Yeah, funeral march for a marionette. What? Because I was, d I would definitely strike out. Yes, sir, right there. How has your wife Evie handled all the fame and fortune of the last year? How has she handled it? She, she didn't believe it. I was saying to her like, oh, people really like when you're on the show. She's like, oh no, that's just very nice. No, no, no. And I said, no, seriously, it's a better show when you're there, and people. You should check online. People actually like you. She's like, oh, pshaw. And then she came out, when she came out for the first show back and everybody leapt to their feet, I, she was so moved. I'm like, see, I told you, people like you. And it's been, it's been great for us. <laughs> now we're in contract negotiations. It's very, it's very ugly. Anybody else? Yes, right there, you, sir. Uh, I really enjoyed your interview with Paul. Another Beatle-related question. Is there anything you two shared that we didn't share with us? 
Is there anything that Paul McCartney and I shared with each other that I didn't share with you? <laughs> that was just too good for television? <laughs> I will tell you something that Paul shared with me that he didn't share on TV is that, here, I gotta, I gotta pull out something to go, okay, so I'm at the White House and <laughs> the Obama's, 50th, uh, Obama's 55th birthday party and... Um, I'm there in the library with Tom Hanks. And <laughs> while, while I'm down in the library, a lot of men are coming through the library because the men's room is off the library on the, on the basement floor of, of, the, of the White House. And so I'm there talking with Hanks, and up walks Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney says, uh, it's a nice party. I said, it is. It's a really great party. I said, what a great little room to be in here. He goes, hey, it's a nice place. And I said, that's George Washington's sword. Because on the wall, hang on the library, they have George Washington's you know, a commander sword, like that. And he looks at it and he goes, you know, I'm a knight. I said, you know, I'm, I know, I know, I, I heard. He goes, you know, you kneel down, you know, you kneel a comana, arise, so pull. And I said, yeah, I, I figure that's how it works. And, uh, and I said, you know, the sword they used for me was uh, a sword of Edward the Confessor. I said, it's 11th century, right? And he goes, yeah. And he looks up and he goes, so that's a nice sword. <laughs> Far and away, you deserve it. What was the biggest challenge? Doing it again tomorrow. Because <laughs> we do a lot of them. We do a lot of them. Let's see, how many shows have we done so far? Today's 1,300. Today's 1,300? Wow. Today's 1300? Wow. Man. Wow. Wow. That is a lot of jokes, my friend. That's a lot of jokes. And it's also 15, that's 1,300 hours of show. On the old show, we did almost 10 years. This has been, what, now, seven years? We're, we're, this, actually, this week is finishing seven years. On the last show, we did uh, nine and a half years, and we did 1,447 shows, and we, that only worked out to about, you know, 723 hours. We've done 1,300 hours of shows here, so it's a lot more work than the old gig uh, used to be. Um, but I get to share the stage, which is lovely. I get with these people like this. I get to like, I get to do things. <laughs> that whole thing about a lot of jokes is that um, when, when Evie, my darling wife, when she says like, oh, do you think we should buy X, Y, or Z? I'll look at the price and I go, that's a lot of jokes. <laughs> that's, that's a whole lot, that's a whole lot. I don't know, I'm not sure if I can tell that many. I'm not sure if I can tell that many jokes. That's a lot of, that's a lot of jokes. And we have, a, on the mantelpiece of our house, we have lit, written in Latin, haec domus quam iochi identificaverunt est. Anybody speak Latin? This is the house that jokes built. Uh... Yes, ma'am, right over there. Halloween What are your plans for Halloween? What are my plans for Halloween? Unfortunately, I know my wife isn't going to be in town. So I'm going to turn off the lights. <laughs> and I'm going to build a little fire in the back, and Benny and I are going to watch some spooky movie and eat all the candy we're not giving the children. <laughs> yes, ma'am, right there. What's your favorite fairy tale and why? My favorite fairy tale... <laughs> I kind of like um, um, Iron Haunts. Do you, know, do you know that one? It's a Grimm's fairy tale. It's not that well-known. It's about a wild man in the forest 
and a boy goes out into the, at a forest and he has to meet this wild man and make friends with a wild man, essentially, before he can get the princess and become the king himself. Do you know that, you know that story? It's, it's a, little, a little known. But I had a professor at Northwestern University when I was a student there, and my uh, senior year, I was taking a class called Archetypal and Psychological Approaches to Literature, taught by this Jungian <laughs> analyst, professor of interp- interpretation of literature at Northwestern School of Speech called Leland Roloff. And so halfway down the steps of this old building called Fisk at Northwestern University, there was big Palladian windows, and, and there was a windowsill that was really deep and about shoulder height as you went down the stair, the, the switchback staircase. And I had two classes in the same building an hour apart, and so I just would go up there and read in the hour between classes. And I'm up there, and Lee Roloff walks down and sees me in the big crowd of people. He stops, and he looks at me, and he goes, how perfect. (laughs) You're neither down there, nor are you up there. (laughs) You need your iron haunts. And he walked away. And that's and I read that story and it resonated with me and so that's my favorite fairy tale. Do you have a favorite fairy tale? Um. <laughs> Not that easy of a question, is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, young lady. What was your answer? Uh, Jack the Beanstalk. Jack the Beanstalk is good. There aren't a lot of uh, English fairy tales. Most fairy tales are German or Norse or French or something like that in in, in the Western canon. The English basically have only the Jack stories. And then they're, they're basically the Jack the Beanstalk, Jack and the Golden Goose, and stuff like that. There are very, very few uh, fairy tales that survive. And the ones we do have are really French fairy tales. And that's why Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, is because he was trying to create a backstory for those little snippets of fairy tales that still survive for the English that involve elves to try to figure out, well, who were these elves and what do the English mean by elf? And so I should stop now. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, a uh, young lady right there, yes. So I, I did this thing, we did this digital series, uh, which won a Webby, well, digital hey. series called Stephen Has a Story, where literally they would grab me as I was coming down to the show and I would tell a story coming down in the elevator. What's the one I didn't tell? Oh, it wasn't a prank. It wasn't a prank. The prank was one of my one of my, my my guy I was writing partner with for 15 years, still a producer here named Paul Zanello, and he was in, he was Mr. Jelinek and Strangers with Candy. Um, uh, one day he he stabbed me in the stomach <laughs> with what really looked like a, a a black steel knife, but it was rubber, and and then he found out in that moment that my last words would have been oh. <laughs> Because it was my best friend, and he stabbed me in the stomach. And my, my last words were, oh. He goes, it was really sad to see how you would react if I murdered you. You wouldn't be mad at all. You'd just be kind of sad and disappointed in me. So the get a dog, the get a dog was, it was shortly thereafter, uh, my friend at the time had never had his heart broken. And the girl I was dating at the time took my heart out, stomped it on the ground, invited people to come over and say, you want to see how good I'm stopping his heart and stomping some more for other people's entertainment? I was destroyed. And so we went out to breakfast one morning to Nookie's on <clears throat> Well Street in Chicago, and uh, I get my two eggs over easy, wheat toast, hash brown, buttered, juice, coffee. And, and he said, how are you? And I said, well, I mean, uh, 
I mean, I, I, would, I would tell you how I am, but I'm afraid I would start crying. And he said, I'd rather remain ignorant than watch you weep. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I get that. I get that. <laughs> and I said, and I said, I guess I'm just lonely. And you said... <laughs> Get a dog. Anybody else? Anybody up here? Yes, sir, right there. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite condiment or sauce? What's my favorite condiment or sauce? Okay, interesting uh, distinction in your mind between condiment and sauce. Condiment goes on, uh, on usually on a meat of some kind, and then a sauce can the meat could be tossed in it or something like that, or it just could be on pasta or something one assumes. I don't know why I'm explicating your question for you. Uh, let's see, condiment or sauce? I mean, I like just like a, a real like clean, simple marinara for a sauce, and for a condiment, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say artichoke relish? Anybody know artichoke relish? Talk to me. Prove to me you know what artichoke relish is. What is it? No, it's like a mustardy. It's used from Jerusalem artichokes, which aren't really artichokes. Some, sometimes called sunchokes. They're, that's my favorite condiment. You can put it on anything. It's kind of mustardy. It's like a relish, but it's also you can use it like a mustard. It's amazing. Artichoke relish, and it has to be Mrs. Sassard's artichoke. You know, it has to be Mrs. Sassard's artichoke relish, who's been making it, I don't know, since the late 1800s, I think. She, she does good work. I saw you first, sir. Stephen, how are you doing today? That's a question. <laughs> I'm good. How about you? I'm doing all right. My name is Brandon. I was here about four years ago when you had Trevor Noah as your guest. I was here with my dad, but since then, I have lost my dad to Louis body dementia. Mm -hmm. And I, my question for you, Stephen, what advice can you offer me for somebody who's just lost their father? I know you lost your father, and now this is a sensitive matter, but I'm looking for help anyway. Well, I would say this. I'm sorry for the loss of your father. There's nothing like the loss of a parent, and there's nothing I can say that can approach your grief. And unfortunately, grief is something that is so basic to the human experience. It's like, it's like, grief is like a person who comes and sit with you, and they won't go away if you ask them to. And you can't fix it, unfortunately. You can only experience it. And try not to think of it as an endurance. Try to think of it as an education to the beauty of the rest of your life and the joy that the Father brought to you. And... The grief that you feel right now is actually a path toward wisdom to love the life that you have and everyone around you. And I hope it transforms from grief into love and ultimately to peace. Good luck. That's the show, everybody. Good night. <laughs> but there's no getting around it. That's part of the way, part of the reasons why the, the, the great joy of your life is, uh, is uh, a great balance to all the grief of your life. And that's why I do this show, is because of all the grief I've had in my life. And it taught me that there is no choice but to be grateful and to engage. So, yes, sir, right there. Yes?
Your dad? He sounds like a wonderful person. He watched the show every single night, even when he was the sickest. And mm. he appreciated everything he did. And just hearing his laugh made my day and my mom's day. Uh, I thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so glad. You know, I'll tell you a story about people often ask me why I'm a comedian. And I'm sorry about the loss of your father. Um, one of the things asked me why I became a comedian, they go, oh, who knows why somebody becomes a comedian. They're often fishing around for, like, is the death of your father and your brothers when you're younger one of the reasons why you became a comedian? And I say, I guess so, but a lot of people lose people. There's a lot of tragedy, a lot of suffering in life, and not everybody becomes a comedian. And, but I do remember... I do remember coming back from the graveside of burying my father and my brothers and my sister Mary and my sister Margaret were in the backseat of one of those old limos where the seats flip forward and, and you, you, you're facing each other in the back of it. And my sister Mary said something. Well, this is literally just moments after leaving the graveside. My sister Mary said something to my sister Margot about the family, probably, that made my sister Margot laugh so hard she fell on the floor of the limo. <laughs> in that moment. And I remember thinking... I want to do that. So if I did that for your dad, then my work is done here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Hey, everyone. It's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.